This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm Jess Gandam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have an excellent show today. We're going to be covering a lot of territory today. But my question that I'd like to put on the table, actually, before I put the question, I want to kind of contextualize a few things. And um, what I'd like to contextualize is it's been reported that um, part of Sheldon Edelson's agreement to fund the Republican Party and Donald Trump for over $25 million is that part of the quid pro quo, part of the agreement, is that he would give this money, but only if John Bolton was a central member of Donald Trump's basically war group, national security advisor, key personnel. Okay, let's, let's put that in the context. We know who Sheldon Edelson is. We know that he has funded Benjamin Netanyahu. We know that he has funded illegal Israeli settlements for decades. We know that um, basically in, in many ways, he's the core figure in terms of dark money, money that cannot be truly traced that goes into the Republican Party. And he funded, I mean, the Republican Party and Donald Trump. Right. Directly, he was able to fund Donald Trump and the Republican Party. So you said it has been reported. So it's been reported. Where where and when? Because we want to be a little bit accurate. Sure. Well, Chris Matthews has reported on this, who's a reputable reporter. Okay, so MSNBC, I guess. Yeah, MSNBC in his own own writing. So John Bolton had to be one of the architects of the war on Iraq, just to be clear. Well, yeah, let's talk about in case people people have short memories, short memories. He's one of the architects. uh, He he uh, was on the, you know, invading invading Iraq, but also supporting the lie. Let's make it very clear. The lie that Iraq had Had weapons weapons of of mass mass destruction. destruction. And he insisted even to towards and then afterwards when he was confronted, there was a uh, an interview with him. And when he was confronted later on by a reporter uh, by a reporter saying, well, you know, you've made us meaning the United States invade uh, Iraq and, and, and you were wrong. And then he kind of fired back saying, well, I still believe it was the right decision because Saddam Hussein oh, was a bad guy. You know, Jamal, I'm don't, paraphrasing. No, 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 listen. So he's not, he's unrepented. No, 100%. Listen, to this day, John Bolton believes that the, the lies that created the situation to destroy Iraq, to kill, um, you know, and displace millions of Iraqis, including over a million Iraqi children to destabilize the entire Middle East was built not just on a lie, but as you said to this day, he still considers it one of the best decisions he ever made. So I want to I want to fast forward. Wait, wait, before you fast forward, just a little. Every right, every fire or um, has a smoke. Yeah, yeah, but hold on one second. We're just we're going to get there. I want to just lay the predicate down here Mm -hmm. because the predicate is John Bolton is in the White House now beating the war drums for Iran, for attacking Iran. We know that B-52s, a a major uh, naval presence has gone to the the Persian Gulf. Um, There is a massive buildup of troops. Well, what I read that, uh, and this was denied by Donald Trump, that now we've kind of sent about 120,000. No, that's the plan. He it, want, the well, plan is to send 120. Yeah, and then Donald Trump, uh, Donald Trump said it was fake news. No, but let's be clear. There's a plan that has been presented to Donald Trump. Right. That they would put 120,000 troops on the ground. But part of what I want to say and part of what I want to talk about today is the fact that um, all this stuff about the Mueller report— all this stuff about immigration reform, all this stuff, I believe, is a cover because the real prize here, Jamal, the prize that the neocons have, the prize that the pro-Israel Zionist um, uh, uh, forces that, that are so powerful in the military-industrial complex in this country, the kind of elites 
like John Bolton, they, they don't care about tax reform. They don't care about immigration reform. And frankly, they don't care about the Mueller report and they don't care about Russia. The goal of this group run by John Bolton is one thing and one thing only, to destabilize and destroy Iran just like they did with Iraq. So, uh, so here is the scenario because it seems that the scenario is unfolding as we are speaking. Absolutely. Jess. So the headlines uh, yesterday, the main headline in the uh, Saudi newspaper, Arab News, which is basically a paper owned and controlled by MBS, by MBS. was egging the United States to ah. strike to uh, egging the United States on to strike right. Iran. This is this is you know if you anyone can actually Google it and they'll see the big headline. And so of, of course Saudi Arabia, you know, just just to kind of like you need, as I said, you need an excuse, right? You need a pretext. Saudi Arabia accused Tehran of being behind a drone strike that shut down a key oil pipeline in the Saudi Kingdom, and and then this is again the newspaper uh, Arab Arab News, uh, the one I was talking about. Its headline was egging on Washington to launch a surgical strike on Iran. This right. Is, this is the headline, right? So this is the kind of the build up and the excuse for the Trump administration, and this is. The scenario repeating itself all over again, you know, all over again with the uh, help of the Saudis, the same thing like accusing Iraq of having weapons of mass destruction. So now we are saying that Iran, number one, this is the first accusation The Iran, uh, you know, had a terrorist uh, attack on um, Saudi uh, pipelines. Right. And then today. In our media, and this is reported on Fox News and others, that we have satellite images of uh, Iranian uh, boats uh, with missiles. So what? Meaning that they're preparing themselves to attack well, either so U.S. What? warships so or what? planes. So No, no, this is, the, you know, again, right. these are the different steps. You have to kind of read behind the headlines, an attack on Saudi Arabia, an attack on oil, which affects American interests and global interests. Now we have now all of a sudden Iranians, which they are just like any sovereign country patrolling their shores. And well, they have a lot part of the stake. Persian. It's part of the Persian Gulf, Jamal. So, so today, you know, so, so today we say we are showing satellites. And I said satellite images. Are we talking about the same satellite images that also showed us uh, yellow cake being transported on trains in Iraq and then Colin Powell at the time, Secretary of State Colin Powell, going to the United Nations, showing his PowerPoint presentation? Are we going to see the same scenario with well, now well, either Bolton or Pompeo going to the United Nations and getting this uh, green light to but strike this, Iran. But, but this is what we're saying, Jamal. We're actually saying something very we want this is what we want our listeners to know. The same predicate is being established to destabilize and bomb Iran as was being established on a series of lies that created the steps to invade and destroy Iraq. And the motivation for this is support of the Israeli dream, because this, all the Israelis care about, Jamal, they, they've, they've taken the Golan Heights, they put the embassy in Jerusalem. The Palestinians have become a non-issue for the Israelis. I mean, we, we understand that in the Israeli elections that uh, just happened, less than 1% was really about Palestinians. It was about Iran, it was about settlement. I mean, it had nothing to do with peace and creating a settlement to this 71-year-old Nakba that happened to Palestine. The, the rhetoric that's being spewed right now, the misperceptions, the misalignments, the, the outright misinformation, and we, we can, whether or not it's a lie or not, doesn't matter. This is the narrative. Well, well uh, you said the word misinformation. I just want to remind you and remind our listeners, of course, 
John Bolton has a history of abusing U.S. intelligence to justify his foreign well, you're, you're policy mild, goals. You're putting it mildly. So I just want to remind you of, uh, of the the most notorious was on May 2002. So I'm going to take you back to 2002, a speech at the Heritage Foundation in which Bolton then, he was then the State Department's undersecretary of arms control. He accused Cuba of developing biological weapons right, right right this is this is i mean he always played this game so we're not talking about i mean there isn't a single war that john bolton hated you know it's not just you know now we're, we're seeing his action towards venezuela like he's going for you know a double attack no this is we call this the triple crown for john bolton T- triple crown because or, he he's or the trifecta the trifecta right because let's not forget, he's the one that announced that uh, Ven- the Venezuelan uh, army was on the verge of defecting towards, uh, against Maduro mm-hmm. uh, for Guaido. And he was like preparing for the downfall of Maduro. It never happened. He again lied, misrepresented, misstated whatever words you want to use, the reality of the facts on the ground. And he's doing the same thing with Iran. What he's saying about Iran, Jamal, let's remind our listeners that it was the United States that pulled out of the Iranian nuclear deal. It wasn't the Iranians. Our own intelligence said that the Iranians were upholding all of the agreements in the Iran nuclear deal. It was Donald Trump and the U.S. government that decided that they would pull out of the deal. Number two, this was interesting. This happened, uh, I think, two days ago. They were interviewing a British... Uh, a, a British military strategist and leader in the in the British military, mm-hmm. and they asked. This was as part of a U.S. British kind of press conference, and they asked this British military leader, "Are the Iranians like upping their game? Are they planning attacks? Are you hearing anything that they're attacking Americans?" And he said flat out, "No. We have to worry about Iran no differently now than we did before because it's John Bolton." And Mike Pompeo. No, they said the Iranians are planning attacks. To be fair, though, to be fair, and this is uh, has been reported that Trump now has been uh, for the past few days signaling uh, his intent uh, to kind of break this isolation and maybe even speak to the Iranians. This is actually true, and there is it's creating some tension. Uh, within the White House, because you have I don't the Waltons and the Hawks who want to drag us into another war. Yeah, I don't. But then it. Trump wants to slow down. Yeah, no, no, this is this is no. I, I think this, that's these, these are news that are no, coming from sure, but from I just, the White House that now that there is friction and attention. Sure. that uh, maybe they're going too fast. And that's why you're seeing this accelerated. Sure. Uh, I would say uh, push from Bolton and company to come up with excuses. And that's why why I see this is not a coincidence all of a sudden that Saudi Arabia puts on its prime newspaper, Arab News, egging on the administration and accusing Iran of sabotaging right. its oil fields and oil productions. Well, Jamal, I, I would like to believe that particular narrative that somehow Donald Trump is going to do this and he's going to speak with the Iranians and this and that, I actually think it's part of their disinformation package. They're trying to paint Donald Trump as actually being moderate, which is kind of crazy. And uh, they're, they're trying to say that he's the one pushing back on this. Absolutely not. It's the President of the United States that ordered his military to send the B-52s to the Persian Gulf. It's the President, Donald Trump, who ordered the military to send a massive naval presence into the Persian Gulf. It's Donald Trump who told the military to draw plans for various kinds of military actions against Iran. So, yeah, of, of course. Now you're, now you're starting to speak like Sarah Sanders, because actually this is what she said. She said the president is the ultimate decision maker and he's 100%. going to take all of the information 100%. and intelligence 100%. that is given to him and he will make the decision that he thinks is best to keep Americans safe because she was asked actually if, they're, if they've had... Uh, 
you know, a, a division, and she denied that there was a division. I don't think there is a but division. But other reports, other reports are showing that, that there is a division and that Donald Trump has called on outside advisors. So here's and that's this, what kind of irritating but, okay, but here, uh, Bolton. But Jamal, here's Donald Trump's outside advisors, Benjamin Netanyahu, Sheldon Edelson. Uh, uh, the, now you're making <laughs> some guesswork. <laughs> no, but we know that he consults with... He consults with Netanyahu frequently about these issues. Okay, so then so I'm just going to make a prediction really quick. They want to put pressure on Iran. Now, whether or not they actually invade Iran, which would be a catastrophic mistake, 100%, they, their interests, their capital, their political will is to create the conditions to destabilize Iran one way or another, which only will serve an Israeli or a Saudi interest and not an American interest. Yeah, but also Donald Trump basically loves himself too much. <laughs> and we're talking about elections around the corner. So this is a calculated risk. I mean, sometimes, I mean, we've seen that in Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu used the, the war or the drums of war or attacking Gaza for his re-election. He always, uh, you know, found a way to to create this panic amongst right. Israelis, and then that kind of gave him the boost to get reelected. Will this work in the United States after we had that experience with George W. Bush and the neocons, uh, you know, so invading, I have invading Iraq and sure. the mess that we have created, and all the Americans who have returned in body bags? And the so, more than one million Iraqis who died because sure. of a lie, the lie of the WMDs, sure. is Donald Trump willing to take a risk against a country that is far more powerful than Iraq, far more larger than Iraq? It's not going to be an easy picnic for so the United do you, States. Do you, do you want my simple answer or my complicated answer? My, your complicated answer. Here's the complicated answer. Yes, he'll do it. <laughs> yes, he has made a calculation and the people that are whispering in his ears and um, whatever the disinformation that they want to put up, they've always said, oh, there's these big rifts in the, in the White House among Republicans. Donald Trump runs the White House. Donald Trump runs the Republican Party. This Republican Party is the party of Trump full stop. If he orders it, it will happen. And, okay, maybe he's 60-40, maybe he's 45-55, but I want our listeners to really know that the Mueller report, they don't care about. All the investigations from the Congress, they don't care about. Um, the immigration plan, yes, they care about, but it's really towards the base. The prize that we have to keep our eyes on, Jamal, is what's going to happen in the Arab world, the Middle East, and Iran. That's the issue that is front and center for the neocons and for Donald Trump right now. Well, there are a few things on the table as far as his re-election campaign. And I think that he cares about two things now. One, of course, impeachment and, uh, it's not gonna happen. and whether ending his presidency through the impeachment route, which is the long route, or through election. And through election, Americans care about a few things. The economy, the economy as far as now is still doing great. Yes, it was inherited from uh, the uh, from the Obama administration, but he's going to take all the full credit. Absolutely. Two, he has been parading, advertising, whatever you want to call it, the so-called deal of the century. Right. For the past two years, which is going to we talked about this last week, which they're supposed to tell us about. First, after Ramadan, now they're saying they want to wait until after the Jewish holiday of Sikhut, whatever. So by June 10th, June 15th, you know, they, they would have run out of excuses to uh, not to release it. So, if, you know, the, and leaks, we know about the leaks and some details about this deal of the century. And then three, I don't think, and this is not just Donald Trump, not a single president likes to see Americans coming back in, 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 in body bags. And we know dragging into a war, unless you have a quick and, and, and swift victory with minimal, you know, with minimal loss to the United States, 
this will be committing suicide for him. So if he drags us into, uh, into Iran, and of course, I haven't spoken about the complications, oil prices, ruining the economy, uh, spending all this money. War is not cheap, right? And well, so there but are it does, repercussions besides, yeah, but it you know, does, it does Iran, Iran might decide to close the Straits of Hormuz. So we have a lot of complications. The, the only thing that I would say that's working to, to his interest, and that's by design and by accident, whatever you want to call it, that he has uh, Mohammed bin Salman in his little pocket after the debacle assassination. And, uh, of course, uh, we know who's behind it now. Uh, of Jamal Khashoggi, MBS, when Donald Trump asked him to jump, he just says, how high do you want me to jump, right? And so, for me, it's so quickly, and the timing is just perfect, that we see this so-called attack on, uh, and sabotage on, uh, you know, all production facilities in Saudi Arabia, and then the Saudi media basically pleading with Donald Trump to attack to Iran. teach, this is what they say, to teach Iran a lesson. Right. I see, I see this as like as an added step into, into I, the equation, another, another missing piece. And I want to just remind uh, our listeners with this so-called drone attack that MBS blamed Iran on. Do you know what the consequence of this drone attack was, Jamal? Tell us. A dramatic increase in oil prices. Who benefits from a dramatic increase in oil prices? Yeah, sure. Any, any interruption of any uh, of uh, oil, you know, production. So, so to say somehow. Somebody's making money. Somehow they're making money. I do not want to underestimate. I mean, let's, if people have short memories, when we were hearing all the lies and disinformation when they invaded Iraq, um, there was, if you remember, Jamal, in the streets of San Francisco in 2004, there was almost a million people in San Francisco protesting the concept and the idea of going to a war in Iraq. People were uprising all over the country. There were people saying we shouldn't go to war in Iraq. You have a political calculus now I feel, unfortunately, is ripe for another war. I I do believe that, unfortunately. And there's lots of people who will benefit from a war anywhere in the world right now, whether it's Iran, whether it's Venezuela. They want to send troops possibly to Venezuela, whatever their crazy calculus is. What I will say is that whatever analysis they're doing, whether it's Venezuela or whether it's Iran, it's built on the same house of lies that led us into Iraq, and it will have the same devastating consequences that these, these militaristic forays do not benefit the people. They, 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 they destroyed Iraq. They will not benefit the people of Iran if we invade Iran. It will not benefit the people of Venezuela. It will only benefit a small group of elites who are invested in creating war. It's, the, it's basically the industrial you know, war complex, mm-hmm. military complex that will benefit from this. I hope you're right, Jamal. I hope I that tell you it doesn't thing. happen. I, I'll tell you one thing. If uh, this goes John Bolton's way, which anyway, I mean, we know that wars in general are bad you know, for everyone. But this one in particular, this is not Iraq. The consequences are going to be great. Well, let's spell them. Let's spell great, them out. Great, you know. Of course, it w- they will affect the United States. They will affect Iran. They will affect Israel. Deeply. They will affect Saudi Arabia. Deeply. I think the ripple effect is going to be even greater. I agree. Than the invasion of Iraq. No. So it, this is not a picnic. This is not a picnic to mess with Iran at this time for many reasons. And I hope that John Bolton doesn't get his way. I mean, this guy is bad news for this country. I just can't think, you know, I mean, I can't believe that Americans in general, we are sitting, we know his whole history. This is like bringing someone who likes to fight with everyone 
and 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 he's a troublemaker to bring him back. And he lied. By the by the way, he lied. He lied. He was caught during many lies, and everyone resented him and resented his group that it hasn't been. 20, 30, 40 years to forget about his lies. We're not talking about a long time ago. No. And then all of a sudden now he's back in the driver's seat to drag us into a major catastrophe and set the entire Middle East on fire. I mean, he, this is this is the way he thinks. And, you know, he wants to invade Iraq. He wants to invade Venezuela. God knows who else. And I, I can't believe that, you know, we're sitting kind of quietly just saying maybe he shouldn't do it. People should be marching in the streets today well, and not wait until that strike to happen. Let me just tell our listeners a little bit about why all the various reasons why it would be a mistake to invade Iran. You very well articulated the human cost because war exacts a catastrophic, multi-generational catastrophe on, on people who who make war and who are on the receiving end of war. I mean, it just devastates people. The people of Iraq continue to be devastated, will continue to be devastated, and the ripple effect throughout the region will be felt for generations. The same goes for the U.S. and coalition forces that fought there, like, as you said, coming back in body bags, coming back maimed, uh, the PTSD, the traumatic brain injury. That was Iraq, Jamal, and... To remind our listeners, Iran is a country of 80 million people. They have an incredibly well-established military uh, that is, I would say, frankly, is probably the best in the Middle East by far. I, I mean, their their military is well-trained, disciplined. And it's a large country. It's a huge country, Jamal. Let's, let's remind... John Bolton, Sheldon Edelson, and, and Benjamin Netanyahu of this little fact. Uh, one of Iran's proxies happens to be on the border with Israel. Hezbollah. Hezbollah is right on Israel's northern border. What, I mean, it's like, Well, also you have Iranian uh, advisors in Syria. Iranian advisors in Syria. Iranian advisors in Iraq. Yeah. So for... These diluted, delusional uh, war hawks, I call them chicken hawks, and I'll tell you why in a minute. These chicken hawks, uh, to promote this bellicose uh, rhetoric against Iran, is really, it's really disturbing. I call them chicken hawks, Jamal, because Don Jr. is not going to go to war. No. John Bolton's maybe, family— Maybe he has uh, flat feet or something. <laughs> Bunions. <laughs> Bunions. <laughs> John Bolton's family is not going to go nope. to war. We know who goes to war. It's it's people uh, from dispossessed communities. It's people from low-income communities. It's it's people from the heart and soul of the United States who are going to go to this war, who are going to die, who are going to get maimed, who are going to come back and be disabled for the rest of their lives. To what end, Jamal? To create this catastrophic vacuum in the Middle East yet again. Well, here is, here is a, a trivia before uh, we go to another topic. Uh, you're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM, and we also welcome our viewers on uh, Facebook Live. But here is a trivia. One thing, Jess, can you name uh, one incident when Iran has invaded within the past, say, 50 years? invaded a neighboring country That's or have been or been a threat to the United States I can answer or that to question. Europe. I can answer that question easily. Zero. Exactly. So we supported, just to take you back, we supported Saddam Hussein during the war on Iran. People forget that. He was our buddy. Well, Rumsfeld, right. Rumsfeld, Rumsfeld was flying there, not Rumsfeld during the Bush administration. But the previous administration. Th that's, that's when he served during uh, Reagan. Yeah, it was Reagan. He was uh, flying there and uh, selling him Apache helicopters and other weapons to confront uh, Iran with. This is when Saddam Hussein was our, our friend. Our ally. Our ally. And it was Iraq that invaded Iran and not the other way around. <laughs> 
It has never threatened Saudi Arabia, meaning like it has never invaded or even fired a single bullet towards Saudi Arabia. And uh, the only countries who have been attacking other countries, neighboring countries, are Saudi Arabia and Israel in in, in the region. Full stop. Yeah. So to kind of say that you know, Iran is the threat or threatening its neighboring countries like no, Saudi Arabia it's a joke. or threatening the United States is a major joke. So anyway, we're going to switch gears right here and talk about the Nakba, the Palestinian Nakba, which was the seven, 71st anniversary just just yesterday. Yeah, May 15th. May, to, May 15th. May 15th is uh, a commemoration day for Palestinians. 10 million plus Palestinians all over the world, Jamal, most of whom are in the diaspora refugees. It's been 71 years since the Nakba catastrophe occurred when over 800,000 Palestinians were forcibly removed uh, uh, by military and paramilitary forces. The Israeli Palmach and paramilitary forces basically ethnically cleansed and destroyed you know, over 500 Palestinian villages and forcibly removed 800,000 Palestinians in 1948, creating the largest refugee problem that still exists in the world today. And, you know, those four generations of refugees, Jamal, are still trying to come home. That's right. So this was uh, commemorated yesterday, and uh, it also coincided with... uh, Israel launching the Eurovision, uh, I guess, competition. Well, because they won it last year, they had the right to host it. Yeah, they had the right to host it, but also the timing of it. This is when uh, now uh, they've had, or many artists had, have uh, crossed the picket line. If if you wanna, you know, you wanna kind of describe it as such, because there has been an international boycott of uh, Eurovision and of course some of the prominent uh, uh, artists who have crossed the picket line uh, like Madonna is one Madonna. but then but then dozens of European artists led by former Pink Floyd frontman Roger Waters signed a letter calling for the contest to be moved to another country well of course so uh, it's it's kind of ironic because where they're holding the, uh, you know, that contest and where they actually have hotels and housing some of the people who have been uh, flying over to either participate or be spectators and dance. They're dancing over the graves of Palestinians That's right. who were ethnically cleansed and they're dancing over entire towns and villages that were basically horrible things uh, happened in 1948. That's on the sad news in a way, just a way to, to think about it. But on the uh, on the good news, I was reading the Israeli media the other day. And There's good news in the Israeli media? That they're losing a lot of money because of the boycott. Yeah, and people aren't is, coming. No, people are not coming. So major artists are not coming, but also Israeli Viewers are not showing up in droves. In fact, there was a report on the Israeli Channel 2 about this. The venues are half empty, and many, of course, the artists canceled, and they're not getting a lot of the viewer the viewership that they were expecting uh, that, you know, that they'll get on, on television. Right. We'll have breaking news for the Israelis. Uh, the international community doesn't want to come to Eurovision on stolen land. The international community doesn't want to come and celebrate on stolen land where apartheid well, practices— Well, apartheid and ethnic cleansing don't sell. They do, Well, the Israelis like to think that it sells, but it actually doesn't sell. So, so this was ongoing, you know, this was ongoing because I wanted to report on a couple of important happening, happenings. And the other one was on that day, which is, of course, May 15th, that's uh, yesterday, the Nakba day— there was a call to deactivate Air, Airbnb's uh, apps or accounts right. because of uh, Airbnb backtracking on allowing settlers, basically. Settler colonies. Settler colonies to, rent to advertise and rent out and profiteer out of their theft. 
So thousands of people, I don't know the numbers, but there was a campaign led by many organizations and uh, groups, including Jewish Voice for Peace and others who were calling even if you wanted to keep your Airbnb account, but at least on May 15th to deactivate your account. And, uh, and, and I think they had thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of individuals uh, deactivating their accounts. So breaking news to the Israelis. I know this is hard for them to understand. The international community, including quite large numbers here in the United States, despite what the Senate does, despite what the White House says, uh, have seen through your lies and the veneer of trying to brand Israel as somehow, you know, uh, springing out of an oasis. The world sees uh, the practices of the Israeli government as clearly illegal, as part of an apartheid process, as part of ethnic cleansing. And, you know, I hate to say this, but, um, you know, Eurovision, I'm sorry to say this to Benjamin Netanyahu, turns out to be a bit of a bus Jamal. It turned out that not only did they not sell seats, and maybe you can verify this because I think you have the statistics, that the viewership also is down pretty significantly too. I don't know if that was part of the statistics. It has been done. So another topic I want to talk about today, I want us to talk about it uh, before the end of our uh, broadcast is the issue, you know, against is the other uh, Muslim woman, Arab and Muslim woman in Congress. There's we talked about Ilhan Omar and the vicious attacks and the ongoing vicious attacks. Yeah, they haven't stopped, you know, uh, against uh, Ilhan Omar. And so I guess uh, just this past week, Rashida Tlaib got into another well, not really. Controversy yeah, I and mean, major attacks. I mean, it's a joke, Jamal. It's really a well, joke. Well, it's not. It's, it's, it's serious because, you know, and I was actually dumbfounded to see the different analysts talk about it and uh, misinterpreting her words, including the president of the United States tweeting about what she said. And just to remind our... Uh, uh, listeners, and we're talking about Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, and, and I'm going to read some of her words. And this is what she said in an interview, Jess. And she said uh, when she was asked about the, uh, you know, she had a remarks when she was about the Holocaust, and what she wanted to say something about that her ancestors or her Palestinian ancestors created a safe haven for Jews after, you know, the Holocaust. But this is what she said, right? She said that there is always kind of a calming feeling I tell folks when I think of the Holocaust and the tragedy of the Holocaust and the fact that it was my ancestors, Palestinians who lost their land and some lost their lives, their livelihood, their human dignity, their existence in many ways have been wiped out and some people's passports, and you know, she goes on to say, and just all of this, it was in the name of trying to create a safe haven for Jews, post the Holocaust, post the tragedy, and the horrific persecution of Jews across the world at the time. Well, which is a and which is a remarkable, but that's a remarkable came, That's a remarkable. No, statement. but I mean, she came under heavy attack accusations of anti-Semitism, uh, accusations of being insensitive. Now, I want to ask you something, you know, because I know you and I know what she meant. A lot of people understood her message. What do you think about the choice of words saying the calming feeling? I mean, this is, this is where they're jumping all over this well, I, choice of no, and the I'm, calming feeling. But I, I, I kind of know where you're going with this, Jamal, and I, I, I could see that some of her defenders are saying that her choice of words were maybe not as precise as they could have been, but I'm not one of those people who's going to call her out on the choice of words. Frankly, she's uh, a woman, she's a congresswoman, she's a citizen of the United States. She has a right to articulate her narrative 
and her analysis in any way that she sees fit as long as it's done in a respectful way. And frankly, to say that her ancestors were the place that created a haven for Jews in Europe who were being murdered and slaughtered to come to Palestine to survive that uh, brutal persecution is quite an amazing statement for her to make. It's really, I think, not only a courageous statement, but a deeply you know, painful and meaningful thing for well, her to say. Well, it's a factual statement. This is the it issue. It is a factual statement. I mean, if you look at history, and this is those revisionists of history, when you even look at the history of the United States and other countries during World War II, when ships full of Jewish refugees were sent back, were ordered to return, and this is part of the from American... The United States. From the United States. And they were allowed to go into Palestine. And in fact, when some of the ships were sent back from Palestine, it wasn't done by Palestinians. It was done by the British. By the British. And and so to try to deny, to say that uh, there wasn't a massive uh, immigration into Palestine because of the atrocities of uh, World War II and Germany, Nazi Germany at the time, and that Palestinians... Uh, took, you know, all these immigrants into the country. And then I see kind of the response. Others said, well, you fought against that. didn't happen. The, when Palestinians, the whole kind of so-called Arab-Israeli war broke is when Jewish uh, Zionist gangs at the time basically were attacking Palestinian villages. Full stop, Jamal. And they were trying to take over. And, and, and we have documents to prove this we have people all what people have to do is that people have to do is read the ethnic cleansing of palestine by elan pape. by elan pape to learn about the plan dalit or plan d designed to evac make force palestinians out of their homes and this is when the conflict started but it didn't start when immigrants were coming over no. And, and, and so, so people are in, in denial. So in a way, she was reflecting on this. And, and I know from the history of many Palestinians, just including the history of my mother's story living in the old city in uh, the uh, Maghrebe neighborhood or Moroccan quarters where uh, Jewish immigrants were coming. She remembers as a young girl helping her Jewish neighbors during the Sabbath turning on, you know, their lights and so forth for them. Right. You know, things like this. So there was this kind of... Well, I have breaking news for all... You know, hospitality involved. I, I have breaking news for all the Islamophobes and anti-Palestinian and anti-Arab and anti-Muslim folks out there that prior to 1948, for quite an extended period of time, Muslims, Jews, and Christians, Palestinians, got along relatively well. I mean, there were some difficulties because, you know, obviously the British were considered occupiers too. But let's not forget that Palestine was probably, Jamal, the last truly, genuinely multi-ethnic, multi-religious, uh, multi-racial uh, society and, and, and state that worked pretty darn well, except for when European uh, nationalist forces or the British decided to do crazy things like occupy and not honor and respect the indigenous people of Palestine. So uh, I hate to break it to all the haters of Rashida Tlaib, but what she said was basically true. Her ancestors did welcome and create and accept thousands of uh, Jews from Europe that were being persecuted. So on the bright side... Oh, wait yes. a minute. Let me just finish yeah. this thought just really quick. The problem is once they got there and after 1948, they turned on the indigenous Palestinian communities. That's right. So on the bright side, and I'll read uh, both tweets from Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats came to, um, you know, they didn't roll over and succumb to Donald Trump, but basically this is what Donald Trump said. 
Democrat Representative Tlaib is being slammed for her horrible and highly insensitive statement on the Holocaust. She obviously has tremendous hatred of Israel and the Jewish people. Can you imagine, imagine what would happen if I ever said what she said and says? I he mean, has said it. He said worse things. <laughs> and so we, we're not going to get there. But to her credit, uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said... Republicans' desperate attempts to, spear, to smear Representative Rashida and misrepresent her comments are outrageous. President Donald Trump and the House GOP should apologize to Representative Tlaib and the American people for their gross misrepresentation. And I say this is kudos to Nancy Pelosi, to Nancy Pelosi for saying and, uh, something but Jamal, can't and we? standing up. Can't against hate right. and smear and, right. and this uh, but, misinformation, basically. Right. But can't, should we remind Donald Trump that he said not that long ago when white supremacists were marching in Charlotte and saying Jews will not replace us, holding torches, that he was calling them fine people on both sides, that for, for the GOP to come down uh, on Rashida Tlaib after the president of their party said that white nationalists who were chanting Jews will not replace us with torches were fine people is just, I mean, it boggles the mind. What if Donald Trump said something like that or worse? He has said worse. He continues to Actually, say worse. Actually, he said even worse than this. He, he said many things. We can quote so many examples, ah, including yeah. turning to... Uh, Basically, uh, Jewish uh, politicians and saying your country, Israel, your prime minister, your prime minister, <laughs> and, you know, referring. So this is something kind of like people kind but, of brushed but, under but under can, the uh, right couch, you know. But but I think we need to return to this thing about Rashida and Ilhan Jamal because Ilhan Omar said something very powerful this week. She said that basically white. The white power establishment in, in Washington is freaking out that a that two women of color, Muslim, Arab, you know, one being a refugee, one being a daughter of refugees, immigrants, have the audacity to speak their mind. So they should remain silent. Yeah. So she says, guess what? We're here. We're going to speak our mind. We're going we're gonna to say what we believe. We're going to represent our constituents. And, you know, it's freaking them out. And I think, you know, the backlash, the attack on Ilhan and Rashida is a directly commensurate, Jamal, with the powerfulness of what they're trying to say to take on the dominant power culture in, in Washington. So before we end our show, a few things. We got uh, a lot, Jamal. We got well, a we lot. have a few minutes to talk about, actually, oh, yeah. and to catch up on the uh, well, presidential elections. Well, what's there to and catch the, up on? And the ever-growing uh, field of candidates that the uh, uh, Democrats have. That's right. Your friend is running now. So, so we have now uh, Mayor uh, Del Basio uh, joined the race. And uh, just, just within, within the past week, I think three people jumped in. I don't know what's the number. I lost track. I yes. know the number. Is it 25 now? 24. You know, and uh, and and so what I've been seeing, which is which is very important, because when we talk about Ilhan Omar, we talk about Rashida Tlaib, we talk about AOC, we talk about all the different new faces of the Democratic Party, young, energetic uh, women of color, uh, you know, representing different communities. I see, I don't see this. I don't see this with, you know, I mean, I'm still seeing the first two ta candidates with all due respect to uh, white the, dudes. The, 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 yeah, exactly. The old first, white dudes. All white dudes. You have, um, you know, <laughs> Biden, Biden and Bernie. And Bernie. And, and, and with all due respect to Bernie, which I think, in my opinion, he is probably the clearest candidate with a mission. And I have a big, strong achy feeling that they're going to throw him again under the bus. 100% they're going to you know, they're going to the do bus. that. 100%. And then you get Biden who is like just a redux of the old establishment. 100%. Coming back 
And then the rest of the others, and many of them come from these different ways, even though uh, these different kind of groups, even though we have more women and we have our own senator from California. One woman of color. Who is running here and who I don't agree 100% with her politics. Nevertheless, when the dust settles, we're going to end up maybe with three and they're not going to reflect on the change or what they called the blue wave or the pink wave that we've seen during the past congressional well, elections. Well, Jamal, this is are they going to be able to beat Donald Trump? This is why, and we're going to talk about this next week, I'm sure, but this is why I've been saying to you and anyone who listens, there is more than a 50-50 chance that Donald Trump will win again because the calculus is that the Democrats will self-cannibalize and chew up each other. They're going to be left with Biden or whomever. They're going to be left with a white dude. That's what they're going to be left with. It's going to, it's going to alienate the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. And last time, because there was so much animosity towards Hillary Clinton and what they did with Bernie, many of those voters did vote for Donald Trump. This time what will happen is that progressive wing, they won't vote. And th there's a calculus where Donald Trump just has to carry Wisconsin, maybe Pennsylvania, maybe Florida, maybe Ohio, maybe two out of four. Jamal, I have breaking news for our listeners. He can win again. Well, uh, on that sad note, <laughs> actually, I shouldn't say that because we still have a lot of time. And we got a lot of time. And unless people get out and vote, they have no right to complain. I mean, that's the message. You have no right to complain. That's real. If you're not going to go out and vote. And we're going to be talking about this topic for the next year, analyzing, uh, waiting to see who's going to be, you know, basically right. in, on, in front. I mean, maybe it's too early now. Uh, to talk about it, I'm a little bit worried. Not you should be. You know, about the type of field and the publicity around it and who they want and kind of like this move trying to drag the party from the left to the center to please the establishment is not going to work. And on that bombshell, we'll see you all next week. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. Have a good week. Check us out on ArabTalkRadio.com. Check us out on Facebook Live, Jamal Dejani 2, and uh, check us out on all our podcasts. We'll see you next week. See you next week.